And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take as my text this morning that part of that reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I want us to concentrate on verses 1 through 8. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1140, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and beginning at verse 1, which I'd like us to read again just so it's fresh in our minds. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 beginning at verse 1. For the Apostle Paul says, If I should speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Probably the last time you heard that was at a wedding. <laughs> this morning I want to talk about agape love, what it is and why it's indispensable. Agape love, why, what it is, and why it is indispensable. Now, something that we might note is that while in the West we have one word for love in which we might say, I love my spouse, or we might say, I love my kids, or we might even say, I love tacos, because we've only got one word for love. The Greeks had four words for love, and they had very specific meanings, and they were used accordingly. Uh, one of them was the word storge, which was the sort of love that you would, uh, sort of word that you would use when you were describing love for a country, or love for family, or maybe a club, or an association of some sort, or uh, a province where you were from. Sometimes we talk about we're from the north, or we're from the south, from the west, or from uh, the East Coast, that sort of thing. And then there was a, another word, the word eros. And that uh, referred to love uh, that one had because the object of his or her love brought pleasure, or even more so, brought a sense of fulfillment, uh, bringing a sense of wholeness. And uh, we often associate the word eros with what we sometimes refer to as as romantic love, I can't live without you, and that sort of thing. Another word, which is actually in the Bible in some places, is the word philos. In fact, we get uh, the word Philadelphia from uh, the Greek word philos and delphia, which means brotherly love. 
And this uh, referred to uh, love uh, that you have with other people because you share a common interest. Uh, maybe uh, your interest in, in books or sports uh, or politics. And then there's the word agape. And that is love for uh, another person or for other persons in which only the thing that really matters is that other person's good and benefit. And sometimes we refer to agape as self-sacrificing love. It's all over the New Testament. In fact, uh, more often than not, when you read the word love in your English New Testament behind it is the Greek word agape, a self-sacrificing kind of love, sometimes what we refer to as God's kind of love. It's most often used in the New Testament, as I just mentioned, and it's all through this 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about agape love. And the first thing, agape love, and why is it indispensable? Indispensable. It's a sine qua non, without which you have nothing. Paul, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, agape love is indispensable, as, as we're saying, because without it, nothing else matters. In fact, notice again, uh, beginning at verse 1, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men, and the, the Corinthians were big on tongue talking, they loved the gift of tongues, and uh, he says, if I speak with all human languages, or even the languages of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just nothing but an annoying sound, an annoying noise, as he says here, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or he says, if I should have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, not just some faith, but all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And so Paul says that without agape love, for instance, possessing spiritual power is meaningless. This would include, as he mentions here, miraculous gifts like being able to speak human languages that you've never learned, not to, not, uh, 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 not to mention angelic languages, if the angels have languages, or the ability to, or to having, as he says, a prophetic gifting in which uh, he might be enabled to know only the things that God knows, all knowledge, all mysteries, and the ability to communicate them in a way that is effectively heard by those who listen, or to have uh, extraordinary faith, as he puts it, so as to be able to, to make the impossible possible, and to say to the mountain, be removed! <laughs> If I could do that. But not have love. I accomplish nothing. 
And so without agape love, possessing spiritual power is meaningless. And without agape love, spiritual virtue is meaningless. He talks about selfless generosity, giving away everything. <laughs> giving away everything, presumably to the needy. If I were to do that... <laughs> But I do it for some other motivation than self-sacrificing love. Or if I should uh, be a martyr and give my body away to be burned. But have not love. I gain nothing. And so agape love is indispensable, obviously. It's possible to do religious things and them to mean nothing with God because they're not motivated and grounded in God's kind of love. <laughs> There's something else, something else going on. I, I don't know. I've never been able to quite understand this, but it happens. And people do things for other reasons. Maybe to make themselves feel good, or maybe they think they're earning something with God, or maybe they have some sort of a deficiency, some sort of a insecurity, and they, the church is a place where maybe they can do something about that. But the apostle says if anything that we do, if we're the rector without love, if we serve on the vestry, or serve on the staff or serve as a whatever it is and do it for some other reason. It's nothing in the eyes of God. And so agape love is indispensable, obviously. <laughs> but what's it like? What's agape love like? I mean, we said that it's self-sacrificing and we said that it's God's kind of love, but, you know, what's it really like? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that question, I suppose, as thoroughly as anyone. He, he gives 16 characteristics, which we'll go through as quickly as we can. Indeed, notice again, beginning at verse 4, love, agape is patient, agape is kind, agape does not envy, agape does not boast. Agape is not arrogant. Agape love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Agape love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and then lastly, he says, and it never ends. <laughs> and so Paul says, uh, firstly, that uh, agape love is patient. In the Greek, the word literally means long-suffering. It just, it just suffers. <laughs> it, that, that's a good, that's a, a good synonym for patience, uh, if you're anything like me. I was telling a friend this last week, I, I was saying, you know, I, I like, I put up with it, and 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 then I blow up. 
And I, so I, I'll do good, I do good seven times, and on the eighth time, I lose it. That's my, that's, that's patience for me. Jennifer Rothschild, in her book, Lessons I Learned in the Dark, wrote this. She said, patience is like spiritual weightlifting. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else wrote that down, but I wrote it down. Love is patient. And then Paul says, and love is kind. Uh, one way to put this is say that uh, love is ready to help. A kind action. Uh, or, or if you like, as somebody else has put it, uh, love isn't easily inconvenienced. Doesn't mind helping out. And when it sees a need, it takes action. We might say love is happy to help. As someone famously put it, uh, God gave you two hands, one hand for your, to help yourself, and what? One hand to help others, because love is kind. And Paul says that love does not envy. It doesn't envy. You ever envy people? Ever get mad because they're doing well? I think in the church we do better when people are suffering. I've noticed that. I'm going on 30 years as a priest. I have some experience <laughs> with the church. And, I, and I've noticed uh, unhappily that oftentimes people in the church do better when other people are suffering. When people are suffering, then they rally around them to pray. But it isn't equal when they're doing well. They got a new job. Or they're going to have a baby. And then... Maybe the couple who's having difficulty having a baby, and there's plenty of them. We were one of them. Uh, they can't join in. In fact, sometimes they're greatly offended that uh, you mention it in their presence. But Paul, in the 14th chapter of this same letter to the Corinthians, he says, uh, we're all one body, and when one member suffers, we all suffer, and when one member is honored, we all rejoice. But sometimes we have this difficulty with the second part. <laughs> and maybe that's because of the work of the flesh called envy. But Paul says that love does not envy. Someone's written this, instead of counting our blessings, blessings, we tend to count other people's blessings. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Instead of counting our own blessings, we tend to count other people's blessings. And when we hate them because they're blessed, that's envy. Envy and ingratitude go hand in hand. <laughs> I love that. I think maybe one of the first steps toward stopping envy and jealousy is learning how to count your blessings. And when you start thinking, you know what? I'm really blessed. And then the blessings of others won't bother you so much because you won't think you're so unblessed. John Piper put it this way. He said, envy is desire and resentment combined. That's a great way to define it. Envy is two things, desire and resentment combined. But Paul says that agape love does not envy. It doesn't. <laughs> oh, you got a new job? Wow! Let's celebrate. That's what agape does. 
You're going to have a baby? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Or you, whatever the case may be, you got a new car. Let's see it. <laughs> or better, you got a new motorcycle. <laughs> Let's see it. Let's see that dude. That's what Agape does. And Paul says, and it does not boast. That is, it, it's not, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't self-promote. And that in order to establish that one is better than others. That's what bragging is. Saying you got a new motorcycle, I hope, or a new car, or you're going to have a baby, or you got, hey, you know, I lost my job, but the Lord has provided. I hope that's not bragging, I hope. It has a specific intent when information is shared. That, that we're more than others, or that we've done more than others, or that we have more than others. That's what bragging is. But love doesn't do that. Love isn't interested in that. Love feels more secure. And related to that, Paul says, and it's not arrogant. In the Greek, Greek it literally means puffed up. <laughs> love, agape is not puffed up. I've long appreciated what somebody has written Quote, just imagine how different life would be if God was as big to us as our ego. Just imagine how different life would be if God was as big to us as our ego. <laughs> and Paul says that love, agape, is not rude. That is, that it doesn't act shamefully. Or in the, in the AV, the authorized version, the King James, unseemly. It goes to kind of, uh, we don't usually use that word, but you probably can tell what it means, you know? To, to, do, to act shamefully, and there's some kind of sense to act this way, and it makes other people feel uncomfortable. Love doesn't do that. It doesn't insist on its own way, the apostle said, which is another expression of pride, isn't it? My way or the highway, <laughs> all right? It's my way or I'm out of here. Or it's my way and if you don't like it, you're out of here. Esther DeWall in her book, Seeking God, the Way of St. Benedict, wrote this. She said the real definition of pride is the desire to control. To control my day, to control my future, to control other people in my life, to make sure the world is put together just the way I want it. <laughs> Paul says that love doesn't insist on its own way. And Paul says that love is not irritable. Or in the New English translation, love is not easily angered. We would say touchy. Oh, my gosh, you know. You just know people, you're like walking on eggshells all the time, right? Or, uh, you, oh, don't do that because, you know, Bob, Bob's going to get upset or whatever the case may be, right? Because they're, they are irritable. They are easily angered, and we want to keep everything on an even keel. But love is not irritable. And Paul says, and love is not resentful. 
In fact, there's sort of a semi-literal rendering of this in the NIV, the New International Version, that goes like this. Love keeps no record of wrongs suffered. That's what it means to be resentful. To keep a record of wrongs suffered. You got a list like that? But you got the list and you got the people and then you got the subheadings underneath the people. You got the, got the person and then all that they've done. Every once in a while you rehearse it. And when you see them, oh my gosh, you rehearse it, right? Because you keep a record of everything they've ever done to you. And you have reasons for doing it, right? In, in, many, in many cases, they really have done bad things. By the way, do you do bad things? You know, one, one, of, one of the reasons why I, I think apologizing is a little bit easier is because I know that I do bad things and so does everybody else. Love does not resent. In fact, the other, because it's too busy forgiving. <laughs> love forgives. I love what Anne Lamott wrote in her book, Plan B, Further Thoughts on Faith. She wrote this, Forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. Notice what she said. It finally becomes unimportant that you have to hit back. That's part of what's in resentment. Part of it, resentment is they've done bad and they need to pay. And I am judge and executioner. It's sort of like spiritual vigilanteism, right? And God, can't leave, I can't leave it to God. God wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Even though he said vengeance is mine. But I love to take that and make it my own. So vengeance becomes mine. And Lamotte, forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with that person. <laughs> but if you keep hitting back, you stay trapped in the nightmare. And if you've ever met anybody who resents and has been resenting, they will tell you all about the nightmare and the nightmares and forgiveness, which literally in the Greek means release, is letting that go, leaving it to God. Vengeance is mine. You know what? I'll let God, who can do it a great deal better than me, I'll let him take care of it. In the meantime, I will forgive and I will release. Indeed, somebody else has written this, when I forgive, I am giving to someone else what God has given to me. When I forgive, I am giving to someone else what God has given to me. We love forgiveness, right? Like, why? Do, tell us about your faith. What is it that's so great? Well, I find forgiveness. I find cleansing. God, that's, oh, that's awesome. 
You know, some religions don't really offer that. It's kind of like, you know, get a book of instructions like, here's, the, here's what you got to do and good luck to you. But, our, our, but, the, but the Christian faith is filled with grace and filled with forgiveness. And we love that about it. But oftentimes we don't love it enough to turn around and give it. <laughs> we take it. Wow! Oh, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. And then we turn to somebody who's done us wrong and say, I'll never forgive you. I was thinking on the way over to church. John chapter 6, right? The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus took the, the boys' uh, 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 lunch of uh, two, two, uh, two loaves of bread and small fishes or whatever it was, right? I'll have to check it again to get the math right. But Jesus broke it off and gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. You see that? Jesus gives it to them, and then the disciples give it to the people. Can you imagine if the disciples said, wow, this is the best bread I've ever eaten. This is the best fish I've ever eaten. And Jesus says, well, give it to the people. I said, I ain't giving it to the people. What he gives you, he means for you to give to others. And when you do give it to others, by the way, and you'll have to take this by faith if this is not your practice, you will feel like God. You will come to know what it is like when God forgives because you are doing what he has done for you and you are doing it toward others. And so love is not resentful. And love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Even when something wrong happens to your enemy. You ever do that? Woohoo! Did you hear about what happened to Bob? And everybody's Bob. I need to get another name, right? Did you hear what happened? I'm like, man, he, he sure had it coming. I love that line in one of those movies with Clint Eastwood and the young kid had shot, and shot somebody and he'd never shot anybody before and he was trying to act tough and everything and he said to Clint Eastwood, who had killed many people, and the young kid said to him, well, I guess he had it coming. And Clint Eastwood said, kid, we all got it coming. And you say to yourself, well, they got it coming, you know. But Jesus said, pray for your enemies. And bless those who persecute you and despitefully use you. <laughs> That's freedom. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing of any kind. People are hurt by it. In fact, uh, this word wrongdoing could very well be translated injustice. It really is the root form in the Greek. Does not, does not, uh, love does not rejoice in injustice. When injustices take place, people get hurt. And people matter. They're created in the image uh, and likeness of God, whether they look like you or not, or whether they vote like you or not. <laughs> They're people. And we wish them well. Rather, Paul says, that love rejoices with the truth. <laughs> the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, Jesus said. Why wouldn't we rejoice in it? In the practice of it? In the proclamation of it? Twelve, he says, and, uh, and if you were wondering, are you counting? <laughs> Got 16. 12, 
Love bears all things. A good way of putting this you find in the New English translation, love never gives up. Love is tough. When I was growing up, I always thought, you know, love and all that kind of stuff was for sissies. And then I was in an age when people thought that way about things. Love is tough. Maybe you noticed, by the way, in its description, it isn't just a piece of cake to do. It takes a great deal of spiritual uh, power and, and reliance upon the Spirit of God to accomplish the things that we're talking about. It is no piece of cake. And one of, the, one of the characteristics is that it bears all things, or if you like, love never gives up. Love, agape love is tough. And Paul says, and it believes all things. Or again, the New English translation, love never loses faith. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> another, another scene in the movie just popped into my head, Braveheart. You remember that? And Robert the Bruce, he had, uh, he had, uh, uh, he had betrayed uh, William, uh, William Wallace. And he, he, was, he was broken, and he goes to his father, who had arranged that he would be the next king of Scotland, and on and on. And his father says to him, all men betray. All men lose heart. And he said, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. And agape never loses faith. <laughs> it keeps on believing. And it hopes all things. Again, love is always hopeful, if you like. And it endures all things, no matter the circumstances. And the last thing that Paul says, and it never ends now, this is an extraordinary thing. We didn't look at the whole passage, but this is thinking of it within its context. This is what that means. Love never ends. It will never end. When, you when the kingdom comes and you will no longer have to believe by faith or hope for it because it will have arrived, you will no longer have to say, I believe the kingdom is coming. You will say, the kingdom is here. And you won't have to say, I'm hoping I have assurance that it is coming because you will say, it's here. But love will still exist. Faith will be no more. Hope will be no more. But love will still exist. And you will love God in the kingdom and God will love you in the kingdom and you will love all those who are in the kingdom. Love will continue because love never ends. It was Teresa of Luzot who said, great love, not great deeds, is the essence of holiness. <laughs> great love, not great deeds, not great accomplishments, great love not great deeds are the essence of holiness. Indeed, love, agape, is the main thing. Remember one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, and he didn't have too many more days after that, did he? But this is what he said, and you know it. 
after he washed their feet like a common slave. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How are we to love, Lord, just like I love you? I'm the model. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Well, of course, that's what, a disciple, that's what it means to be a disciple. You're like him. You're following him. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so to be a true disciple of Jesus is to love as he loved. And now we know a little something more about what it means to love in an agape way. And so God give us the grace to do it and to keep the main thing, the main thing. Agape love, what it is and why it's indispensable. Let us pray. Lord, help us to do these things by the power of your Spirit. Give us a longing to do these things and help us to set aside all those impediments that keep, keep us from doing it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.